This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Get into hour two. Sports today rolling on from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. We have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Azam and Cam, outstanding producers alongside us on a Tuesday. Happy 4th of July to any of our American listeners. Interns Ben and Callum are here. Busy hour one in the books. It'll be up shortly wherever you get your podcast. WPCA report checking in on the Chucks with Chance Vegan. Stamps report with Patty Dumas. And of course, the latest on the Calgary Flames as they've released their development camp roster. Ahead of uh, development camp, obviously, starting up on Thursday at Windsport. Still to come here in hour two, we'll chat with John Hodge from Three Down Nation. Check in on some CFL storylines ahead of week five, kicking off Thursday in Saskatchewan. But right now, very happy to kick off the hour, head down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, chat, uh, chat all things about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Obviously, lots of joint interest in Calgary because former Flames GM Brad Treliving now calling the shots, but the Leafs have been one of the busiest teams across the NHL in the last couple of days, so that was a great time to bring in Brent Gunning from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, co-host of Leafs Nation. Brent, thanks for doing this as always, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy to jump on. You caught me at the best time possible. I'm like within an hour of just finishing up a round of golf, so there's no happier version of me. Uh, than the version you're about to talk to. <laughs> Perfect. I know the morning guys uh, bring you on for your golf knowledge, so I guess maybe I should start there. Are you happy to see Ricky Fowler pick up a win finally, or uh, how do we feel about that? I mean, he stole it from our beautiful Canadian, Adam Adams, so I can't be too happy. But, uh, yeah, good for Fowler, honestly. Uh, he is a guy who, you know how much all, all the players love him. You can see the way he's respected. So even somebody like me, who spent a lot of years complaining <laughs> that there was too much Ricky Fowler on TV, uh, even I found myself happy for him. So, yeah, good good for him. And if he beat anybody, if, even if it was just Morikawa, he beat in the playoff and not had one, I would have felt great about it. But, uh, yeah, good for Fowler. Uh, now on to the main reason we brought you on. We'll let George and Maddie keep the golf going with you, but we want to <laughs> chat Leafs with you. Uh, it's been a busy time for uh, for Brad for living first couple weeks as GM. He got his timeout out of the way in the first round of the draft, quickly packed back up and uh, maybe surprised some people with their first round selection, Easton Cowan. But since then, it's been a busy couple of days for Brad for living. I guess just before we dive into some individual things, what have you made of the work of uh, Brad in the last couple of weeks here, Brent? Uh, the second day of free agency that he had was much needed after after the first day. Uh, the big move that he made on, on the first day, obviously, uh, Ryan Reeves and John Klingberg. And I'll admit, when the big ad of the first day of free agency was $4.5 million for one year at John Klingberg, I, my first blush reaction was, 
you had to rush to do that. You couldn't <laughs> wait and maybe find a way to fit in a Domi or a Bertuzzi, and he was able to find a way to fit in both. So at first blush, was not happy about the Klingberg ad, Klingberg ad because I worried what it would stop them or make it harder to do. Now, I will say there's still going to be some cap gymnastics to be done. Obviously, the easiest version of that is moving Matt Murray's money. Uh, easier said than done still. Uh, so, yeah, I think so far you have to like what Sure Living has done. I mean, the it's very much an unfinished grade because so much of this lease offseason comes down to not the players they bring in, but the two guys or at least the one for sure that they're looking to retain in new contracts for Matthews and Nylander. So in terms of his job on the free agent market, I think you got to be happy, uh, especially with the, the second day additions of, of Bertuzzi and Domi. But I think a lot of people are still waiting to see just exactly how those Matthews and potentially Nylander contracts shake out because that is arguably the uh, the bigger piece of the pie for the Leafs this offseason. We'll talk about them in just a second here, but knowing that the offseason is still unfinished, and you're right, there still could be some major dominoes to fall. When you look at this group that he's assembled right now, Brent, is this Maple Leafs team better than they were last year right now? Uh, they are better than the version of the team, I think, that started the regular season. But I don't think you can look at this group and say that it's a better team than the one that was assembled after the deadline. I mean, even if we're just doing kind of straight, uh, you know, like uh, tables here, John Klingberg is an upgrade on Justin Hall. Even if I'm down on him, that's fair to say. Uh, But I'm not positive Bertuzzi is an upgrade on Ryan O'Reilly. I'm not, I am big in the camp of Michael Bunting, but I'm not positive Max Domi is a better fit for the Leafs top six than Bunting is. And losing Nolachari, really, really hurts. So I don't want to undermine the work that Tre Living has done. I just think that when you look at all the pieces that headed out the door from the version of this team that finally got over the hump and finally won around, the some of the pieces they have added in Bertuzzi and Domi and Klingberg, they do do a nice job of checking some of those off, but there's still kind of that one more piece, however you want to do the math there. So there is work to be done, and like I said, entirely possible there's a big, big trade to happen, and obviously uh, that that would change a, a, a ton. But I think that when I look at the group that, that went into the playoffs last year with O'Reilly and Achari, uh, I think I like that group just a tick better than what the Leafs have right now. Let's get into those two big names that obviously Leafs fans are still hanging on to this summer, and that's obviously Austin Matthews and William Nylander. We'll start with Nylander because that seems to be the one that's the most contentious right now, Brent, whether you you listen to Friedman or any of the other NHL insiders. We're talking about a significant gap right now in in contract extensions, uh, talks between the two sides. Is this a situation where you think the Leafs are okay entering the season with William Nylander being a pending UFA, or is this something that has to be decided out in this summer one way or another? I think they have to be okay with it because of how, and you know, it's a, it's entirely possible they were trying to be aggressive and just couldn't make something happening. I think you have to be okay with it based on the fact that you got through the draft. Obviously that was going to be the easiest time for teams to make their move before they went out and committed more money in the first couple of days of free agency. I think with Nylander, you have to be okay with it. Now, Tre Living has talked about how he learned his lessons from Johnny Goudreau and he will not repeat that again. Uh, I don't know if that means you hang on to him and 
flip them at the deadline. That feels like an absolute non-starter for a team that's looking to win. But I think you do have to kind of be prepared to enter the season in a bit of a stalemate or with him in the, the walk year of his deal. And I think the other part of it as well with Nylander is that it was always going to be the, the hardest one to do of the two. I mean, Austin Matthews, we can sit here and believe me, I got tons of opinion about the term he's asking for and the dollar and all of that. But it's pretty straightforward. Hart Trophy winner, 60-goal guy, number one center. That, that math kind of takes care of itself. Again, we can quibble a little here or there, but at the end of the day, that deal will get done, and both sides, again, depending on the way they want to structure it, there obviously is, you know, there's still some room apart, but it's much easier to see a roadmap for that. Nylander, he is going to look at the cap jumping, and he is not going to want to get himself locked into a deal that's going to look like a home run For the second time in his career, he's already done that. Uh, And just based on everything we know about the player, he was very comfortable going to the bitter end last time uh, when he, when he had his deal that didn't get signed until right before December 1st, allowing him to to finally play uh, the, the year he signed this deal that has one year left on it now. So I think you have to be prepared. And this was always going to be the the toughest one just because there is so much more wiggle room with what Nylander is as a player. I mean, even just doing straw pulls of, you know, whether it be people in the industry or just, you know, people who care about this team, I hear everything from, oh, please, how can you think he's worth 8-8 eight, eight, if Meyer's worth that to, yeah, he probably is worth 10, 10 and a half when you look at the names of the, when you look at the class of winger that, that produces above him, it's a pretty, pretty small group. So I, I wouldn't expect a resolution on that one anytime soon. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like Austin Matthews is leaning towards shorter term, but still big dollars would probably put him in if not at the top and very close to the top of the, you know, who's getting paid in the NHL pantheon. Is that a win-win situation or is this a win-lose situation for Toronto when it comes to, to Austin Matthews that he's only willing to sign short term? And even on that short term, you're not going to get any sort of a discount from him. How are Leafs fans looking at this whole situation with Austin Matthews and knowing that he's, it sounds like he's going to be back, Brent, but you're certainly not going to get him at a discount. I think the best way to put how Leafs fans feel about Austin Matthews and this contract that's going to get signed is, man, he's lucky. He's good. Like, you know, I don't know, like your parents out there, you look at your kid and you go like, man, it's a good thing you're cute because you're going to get away with this and it's going to be totally fine. And he is that good. So I don't think anyone is sitting here going, oh, whoopee, it's going to be a three-year deal, and he's probably going to want 13 or 12-8 or something in and along those lines. I don't think anybody here is over the moon if that's what happens, but because he's Austin Matthews and because he is that elite tier of guy. I mean, look at the down year he had last year. That is a career season for a lot of guys. So I think you have to pay him. You have to do what it is to make him happy. But I'd be lying if there wasn't a massive, massive sense of frustration that he's the only guy in the league who has to do it this way. And I, the, 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 the bell I keep ringing is I would feel differently about this if you were even hearing, I'm not even saying an agent come out and say it themselves, but I would take it from Friedman to say, I'm hearing from agents that other players can't wait to take this tax. They can't wait. They're happy Matthews is the Pied Piper. We always hear about this with free agency. of Yeah, we want guys to make their money because it raises tides for all boats. There has not been one other agent, superstar player, somebody who has said, 
thank God Austin Matthews is taking all the slings and arrows because I'm going to do this exact thing. If this was the start of a pattern and this was the way guys were going to operate in the league now, I could stomach it, but it's not. Mm -hmm. You look at Dreisaitl, who's going to be up in a couple of years after Matthews. He's probably just going to take his eight-year deal or seven-year deal and go about his business. Every other superstar has. So it is infuriating, but because of how good he is, you, you have to accept it. Yeah, it feels like one of those situations where it's a double-edged sword. You're happy he's re-signing with your group, but you're also, like you said, probably disappointed it's not going to be anywhere near eight years and a you know a solid number for it because you're going to have to go through this whole process again in, what, two, three seasons from now, Brent? He's never going to put himself in a position that he is remotely underpaid in the NHL. You know, for Connor McDavid, he is the standard bearer in this league for play, for salary, for everything. The second he put pen to paper on that eight times 12.5, he understood that if the cap continued to climb, and even with the pandemic, it's going to climb to a point where it's not going to be a bargain by any means, but he should always be the highest paid player in the league. And that's not the case now, and it definitely won't be the case after Matthew signs. Matthews is just never going to put himself in that position. So, yes, you're thrilled that the player wants to be here. You're thrilled that this isn't a guy letting everybody know he wants to be out. That is all well and good. You would just be thrilled if he could be wired the same way as every other guy of note in the sport. Brent, getting along with us, Sportsnet 590, the fan co-host of Lease Nation. The only real criticism I've heard the last couple days on some of these short-term deals for Brad Living and the likes of Bertuzzi and Klingberg and Domi is that some people worry about the the next summer being too big of one for Brad Living, knowing that, yes, Matthews and Nylander are, are up, but you also throw in Brody's in that situation now. Lafferty's there. The goaltending's still kind of up in the air. Is that a concern for you that there's a little bit too much pushed into next summer right now if you're Brad for living? I completely understand the concern, and I do think it is a valid one. The only thing I would say to that is that you had to be comfortable living in this world once you decided to change general managers. Yeah. Uh, Brad for living was not going to have the runway to have had all those conversations with William Nylander's agent or Austin Matthews' agent. And again, we understand what the parameters of those deals are, but they could not get into a position where they're gumming up the cap. So the one-year deals were a necessity because you weren't able to get anything done by July 1st. And quite honestly, given the uh, – with Nylander, the negotiation still to be done, and with Matthews, just how important the deal it was, I don't think it was ever realistic to think that they were going to be done uh, July 1. So I understand that concern. I think it is a valid one. One of my biggest criticisms with the Leafs has been too much turnover – Year to year, the core stays the same, and then it seems like there's eight new guys on the team every single year. You know, I think Max Domi is somebody who has talked about he doesn't want this to be a one-year. He wants it to be a one-year, and then let's find ground on a long deal because he would love to be a Leaf. Uh, Great. Uh, That's entirely possible. Bertuzzi feels like a one-year mercenary who, if everything goes great, he's looking at seven, eight next year because he clicks so well with, with Matthew. So a necessary evil, but I don't think you can really criticize Trill Living on it because you weren't going to go term with Bertuzzi because it would have affected uh, what you could have done with, with Matthews and Nylander. And quite honestly, it's the same with, with all those guys, uh, even Klingberg and, and Domi. Uh, very general question for you, but what exactly is the plan with the goaltending right now? 
I imagine the plan is to uh, put up a, uh, well, what's the opposite of help wanted? It's when you don't want their help anymore. <laughs> uh, just like lost cat, Matt Still. Murray. If you find him, keep him. Uh, the plan is to hope and pray that Matt Murray stubs his toe or sneezes or, mm. I don't know, uh, gets an injury yeah. or he has migraines or something. That's the dream Skin condition, right? Isn't that one of those big ones, right? That's a skin. Yes, that's His a, equipment that's a makes one. him now, sick, right? Yeah, that's one. Oh, that's that is that was elite. Uh, they'll truly <laughs> never get better than that. But the Leafs screwed this up because they had to make him available at the tail end last year and have him be the backup. So I don't think that, or I think that will be an incredibly tough sell. Why would anyone take that on? I mean, you can make any contract disappear. There will be teams with space, but it will be pricey. I think that's the easiest thing with the goaltending. A lot of people seem to be penciling Samsonov in and around a three million dollar number. That seems pretty fair to me. I think you really like the player, but I don't know that you're looking to do a term deal with him because he proved a little but didn't quite prove enough. And then Joe Wall is a guy who performed pretty well in the glimpses. I think you look to go in to the season with him as your 1B to Samsonov's 1A, and in a dream scenario, Joe Wall steals that job by the All-Star break, and, and that's your starter. So I really think it's kind of status quo with the goalies. Um Best case scenario is you find a way to disappear Murray. Uh, worst case scenario, you got to eat his money and, and you're, you're rolling with the three of them. But the problem with that is you have to find a way to have Joe Wall be your backup because carrying three goalies, we've seen it. It doesn't work. It's definitely not going to work with this team's cap problem. And you cannot have Joe Wall back in the minors. He is an NHL goalie uh, for sure, at least a backup. So pretty much status quo and pray somebody finds uh, some interest or some use in, in Matt Murray. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but aside from the goaltending, it seems like we've talked about the, the what's next for Toronto already in our conversations about Matthews and Nylander. Is there anything that, that we're missing from the outside here, Brent, that Brad's got left on his, on his to-do list? Not that, no, don't get me wrong, Matthews and Nylander, that's a pretty big to-do list, but have I missed anything? Is there any piece of this team that, that he's going to need to adjust uh, a bit before we head into September, October time for training camp? So take this with the a grain of salt because the salary cap is, I don't know if you understand it. Good, good on you. But based on the quick math I've been doing, they got to find a way to disappear Matt Murray or disappear TJ Brody, presuming William Nylander is not traded. If they want to give Samson something above or, or around $3 million, they're going to have to find a way to carve some money. Now it doesn't mean they have to do it. Now you can be 10% over the cap in the summer and they went into camp with this exact problem last year and guys started dropping like flies and it never really proved to be an issue. So it's not an absolute must that he needs to trade one of those guys. I mean, it'd be very prudent to get Matt Murray's money off the books. The other thing, the reason why I mentioned Brody is, you know, Brody is a guy we know for living. I don't know that it was him trying to trade Brody, but we know there were talks about Kadri and Brody when Brody was a flame and Kadri was a leaf. And the other part of it as well is that, you know, for living is the GM that let Brody walk in free agency. Again, I'm sure some of that was Brody looking for, for, you know, a chance back home in Toronto, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I think it's fair to wonder if for living finds himself enamored with, with TJ Brody. And if you're going to move that guy, that's Morgan Riley's partner until you find him a new one. And that is a big piece of business to do. So no one glaring move that has to be made, 
But I think there's still one more domino to fall. And when that domino falls, I think he's going to have a little work to do after that. So interesting summer uh, ahead. Very much watching for, for ripples with, with Brad for living in the Leafs. Uh, and before we let you go, where are you uh, kicking off this Alberta golf trip today, pal? Uh, so flying out tomorrow, just played, just played yesterday or just played an hour ago here in Toronto, flying out tomorrow, uh, got around in Red Deer and then I will be in, uh, in Lacombe, Alberta. So that's about all I know. I'm going in <laughs> super blind. I have a wonderful tour guide. Uh, I'm going to meet some wonderful people out in your wonderful province, Logan. Awesome to hear, man. Have a great trip. Thanks for hopping on with us as always, Brent. I do appreciate it, man. Uh, take care and safe travels. Hey, yeah, anytime. Take, take care. care. See ya. Brent Gunning joining us. Down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline, co-host of Leafs Nation. You can find him on Twitter at Gunning590, all things Toronto Maple Leafs. He also hosts the golf show on Sportsnet 590. He's a regular with Russick and Rose on the big show, talking all things around the PGA Tour. Uh, and obviously heading to our beautiful province for some golf. Um, could, have, could have come to Calgary. Could have, could have asked us for some golf recommendations around Calgary. Nothing wrong with Lacombe. I'm just saying, Brent, text me next time. We can hook you up with Speargrass. We've got to get some connections, but no, it's fine. You go to Lacombe. Enjoy yourself. I hope he has a great time. More people should come out. we got some great golf courses around Alberta, but hey, next time, Brent, I'll, I don't know if I'm going to hook you up. I don't know if we're that close, but I'll at least help you out with some suggestions. Uh, again, Brent joining us down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar. Uh, guest hotline, all things Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Brad Treliving, yeah, the, the latest to-do list for Brad <laughs> just. Major signings wherever he goes. Just now, you know, had to deal with Kachuk and Gaudreau and everything in Calgary, and now uh, immediately into it with Matthews and Nylander. And uh, if you haven't heard the latest, it, it doesn't sound like Nylander and the Leafs are closing in on an extension anytime soon. As though both sides pretty far away on, on contract negotiations right now. And look, William Nylander, you know, in comparison to others that have scored at the rate he has and others of his same skill set, Again, whether you love the player or not, he's worth more than $6.9 million right now. And I don't know that the Toronto Maple Leafs have the kind of cap money that it's going to you know, require to keep a guy that scored 87 points last year and 80 points the year before it and you know, just hit the 40 goal mark for the team. So that's going to be one to watch. And where does that money come from if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs? Brent, you know, is it is it Matt Murray? Is it TJ Brody? Is it in some way, shape, or form... William Nylander to help them finish out their cap struggles. It's going to be one to watch. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs already busy. I still don't understand three years for Ryan Reeves, but I don't. I don't sign the checks. Uh, Klingberg, sure. Uh, Domi and Bertuzzi, you can sign me up for those ones for sure. But uh, yeah, interesting times uh, for the Leafs. They've been busy, and uh, still to see what's to come with those two big contracts with Austin Matthews and William Nylander. We'll take a break. Come back on the other side. One more segment to go. Four weeks in the books across the CFL. The Argos are undefeated. The Bombers picked up a win against the Alouettes. Lots of storylines to dive into. The Elks still look terrible. And they're on the road to kick off things against Saskatchewan this week. We'll check in with our pal John Hodge from 3 Down Nation. The latest around the CFL. That's coming up next. We'll get you a Jays report before we're out of here as well. Still lots to come as Sportsnet Today continues here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. 
You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, we're getting to close out the hour here on Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon along with you. Zom and Camera here. Producers extraordinaire. Ben and Callum, your afternoon intern for the week. Uh, as we roll on and close out the hour here. We don't have live stats yet uh, in the CFL season, but we do have plenty of storylines four weeks in. Canada Day weekend ended off with the Toronto Argonauts moving to 3-0 and with a dominant showing at BMO Field. 45-24 over the BC Lions. Bombers got past the Owls on a rainy one in Montreal. And the Red Blacks picked up their first win of the season against the Elks back on Friday. Lots to get to. I had a week five in the CFL and very happy to do so with our next guest from Three Down Nation. He joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Very happy to uh, chat with John Hodge on this Tuesday. John, thanks as always for the time, man. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, takeaways from week four, just three games on, on Canada day weekend. What would you say was the the biggest thing you took away from the three games of action? Well, uh, you mentioned the Canada day long weekend. One of my major takeaways was why are we only playing three games? Yep. (laughs) It's a great question, John. The, uh, I think the CFL and, and this is, you know, partly having to do with their new American television deal has made it a concerted effort to, have Sunday evening football games. The ratings for those have been pretty good so far this season. And uh, after doing the same schedule Thursday through Sunday for the first three weeks of the year, they suddenly randomly changed it. Um, Not only with the days of the week being different for the Canada day long weekend, but they also omitted Sunday entirely, which I I thought was a very bizarre choice. Um, But that being said, I mean, on the field, I mean, you got to like the Ottawa Red Blacks getting their first win and and getting that 13-game home losing streak off their backs. It looks like Jeremiah Masoli is going to be back for them this week. That's exciting for that club. And in the West, I mean, we we saw the Winnipeg Blue Bombers bounce way back from a very defeating loss to the BC Lions. And the BC Lions coming off, you know, that big win and and, and looking like the, the best in the West came completely crashing down back to earth. So I think the West division also looks a lot more interesting post week four. How impressed uh, have you been early on this season with Chad Kelly and his play out in Toronto? He's done a good job. I mean, Chad Kelly is, is not being asked to be the focal point of that team. Uh, I think the depth of that team, I think the, the quality players they have on, on the offensive line, on the defensive line, uh, makes life a little bit easier for, for that crew. But, you know, they're, they're such a well-coached team. That's something that I always think about when it comes to the Argos. Corey May, so they can make a very solid argument, is the best DC in the CFL. And then Ryan Dinwiddie, you know, has, has really, really shown through, you know, a relatively short period of time. I mean, he was hired in 2020, season got canceled, made his coaching debut in August 2021. That, that he knows how to run an offense and he knows how to get the most of his talent. And so Chad Kelly, I mean, they, they don't really have a true number one receiver. I mean, Devaris Daniels is good. Curly Gittins Jr. is good. DeMonte Coxey has kind of broken out a little bit this year. But, 
you know, they run the ball a lot. I mean, A.J. Olette, they, they've got Andrew Harris. They've got guys like Javon Leak as a depth guy who can do some stuff. Daniel Adaboboye, who's a really underrated Canadian. And Chad Kelly right now is just asked to be the point guard and not make any mistakes. And he's done a great job of that so far. He plays very clean football. He's made very good decisions with the ball. And, um, you know, as long as he's not going out there trying to throw for 400 yards, I think that team is going to be going to be really good. Now, can he throw for 400 yards? That's something I want to see. But but right mm-hmm. now, that's not the formula that the Argos are using to get their wins. And as long as the formula is working, right, why on earth would you change it up? So, so far, I think Chad Kelly has, has done everything the team has needed it to do. And uh, he deserves a lot of credit for that. On the other side of the ball, I'm always big on, you know, waiting to see if it repeats itself before calling it a trend. But I, I guess it's hard to ignore the six interceptions that Vernon Adams threw in that game. I guess any level of worry for you after a, a subpar performance? He's been really good this season, John. It just seemed like yesterday the Argos and, you know, Nate Robinson had his number. Well, I mean, the, the last couple interceptions, I mean, it's a gaudy number, and that's why everybody's talking about it. Right? Six interceptions, the CFL record all time, dating back to the very long history of this league, when interceptions used to be much more prevalent than they are today, is seven. That's shared by four people. So, I mean, you know, the, the number six, I mean, four is usually the benchmark for like a really bad game for a quarterback. So to throw six is is pretty wild. That being said, you know, especially the last two interceptions that Vernon Adams Jr. threw don't bother me at all. And the reason why is, you know, at that point of the game, when you're down multiple scores late, I mean, as a quarterback, w- w- what else are you going to do? You're going to check it down and, <laughs> and just accept defeat? Or, or are you going to throw the ball deep and, and try to make something happen? Now, the first four are obviously problematic. I think BC, more so than any team in the league, with Jordan Maximick, their offensive coordinator, doing great work has tried to push the ball down the field consistently, and they have not shied away from trying to fit the ball into very tight windows. Mm -hmm. That is something that they like to do. And when you play that style of game and you're on your game, you can rest assured you're going to put up a lot of points because there's a ton of room to cover in the CFL as a defense. And if you have a quarterback and and an offense and, and good quality receivers who can get into those tight little windows and make plays, it's darn near impossible to get them off the field. If the quarterback is not on the money and they're putting the, uh, they're either not accurate enough to fit the ball through those, those tiny windows, or they are trying to fit the ball into windows that are not there, you're going to have a really challenging time. And I think that's exactly what we saw with BC and Vernon Adams Jr. Do I think Vernon Adams Jr. is as bad as we saw yesterday? Absolutely not. I think yesterday was a regression for him, obviously. Uh, but I also don't think that maybe Vernon Adams Jr. is as good as we saw the first three weeks of the season when he did a sensational job of protecting the football and I think had five touchdown passes. So he's a guy who I think is 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 somewhere in the middle, right? We've seen his highest highs and his lowest lows. And that said, the other thing people I think are looking over is the fact that he threw for almost 400 yards and three touchdowns yesterday, which is yeah. which is darn impressive if it weren't for you know the unbelievably large interception number. So lots of ups and downs right now with Vernon Adams Jr. I'm interested to see how he'll bounce back from this type of performance. Uh, one more on BC. Uh, was another two-sack performance for Matthew Betts. Uh, is this a guy that early on is in the conversation for most outstanding defensive player in the West? I think he absolutely should be. And, and 
for the uninitiated, Matthew Betts is is arguably the best U sports pass rusher of all time. He's a guy who played at Laval University, was a three time JP Metris Trophy winner. The JP Metris Trophy goes to the top linemen in all of U sports football. Some previous winners of that award include guys like David Onyemata, who's had close to a decade-long career in the NFL now, uh, guys like Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who I don't think needs any introduction, a guy who won a Super Bowl and is a medical doctor on top of that. Um, Matthew Betts is, is just an unbelievable terror coming off the edge. His quick twitch is as good as anybody you'll find, certainly in the CFL, and it's better than most guys in the NFL, I think. Um, he's a guy who... who was the first round pick to Edmonton. They let him walk. Why? I'll never know. That's probably part of the reason why Edmonton is atrocious right now. Um, that they've let some really good players leave. Uh, that's not on the current regime, by the way. I believe the previous regime let him walk. But regardless, he's a player who I believe had zero sacks his first year in the league, but just was always, always pressuring the quarterback, getting close. It was just that one step away. And now he's found a way through just four games this season to close out those sacks. I think he's got seven in four games, which is obviously remarkable because seven would be a, a good season for a lot of guys. Yeah. And, and heck, he's, he's got another 14 games to go. So the sky's the limit for him for sure. If only we could check that uh, stat total quickly without going through a <laughs> bunch of PDFs to, uh, to back it up, John. I really have no way to know if you're actually accurate about that or not. If only there were some some magical group that could possibly get us stats. We could only confirm your reporting. Yeah, I think in, in all my copy and, and, and even the media copy across the country, we all just need to start putting the word allegedly in all of our work. So if it's, you know, Chad Kelly allegedly threw for one touchdown, Vernon Adams Jr. allegedly threw for six interceptions, because it is, it is getting a little ridiculous now. Is there anything on that? Like, is it just same old, same old from Randy and co that they're, they're working on it and expect to have it soon. If I haven't heard anything different of you. So CFL commissioner, Randy Ambrosi spoke to the media before that BC lions, Winnipeg blue bombers game a week and a half ago at IG field. And he was asked about it a number of times. And as is often the case with Mr. Ambrosi, it took several questions to get an answer. And, and essentially what he said is we need everybody to be patient because the old system, the analog system, it w was terribly outdated, and we needed a refresh. And this new stat system is going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. There's going to be all kinds of bells and whistles. One of them, apparently, is there's going to be a chip in the football, and fans are going to be able to go and look and see how, how much velocity quarterbacks are throwing uh, with and, and all these wild, crazy stats that, that you know the old system could never have produced. Uh, that said... He expected the system to perform reasonably good. That was an exact quote, mm. reasonably good. That week, uh, it did not. And then he said the entire stat system should be up and running sometime in July, which I took to mean the very end of July. <laughs> so I'm guessing yeah. that at least right now, the timeline is by the end of this month, we will see stats on CFL.ca when you go and you visit player profile pages. But who knows, because this whole thing obviously should have been done for week one. They're now saying, you know, that would put it at week seven, week eight. And, uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine if, if they end up hitting that timeline. Uh, John Hodge along with us uh, from Three Down Nation, all things CFL right now with John. I had a week five kicking off 
in Saskatchewan on Thursday. Uh, Mr. Hodge, who needs a win bigger? Uh, I guess who needs a win, period, more here? Edmonton on Thursday or Hamilton on Saturday? Oh, that is a great question because these are two teams that absolutely cannot afford another loss. To me, I, I'm, I'm going to say the Edmonton Elks, and that's for two reasons. Uh, the first reason is they play in the tougher division, right? They, and then the other is, of course, they are currently 0-4. The Hamilton Tiger Cats are, are only 0-3, and, and so they've got an extra game, a little bit of time. But that's, that said, I mean, the Ticats should be absolutely desperate, and they're not going to get a break here. Yes, they're hosting Ottawa, and no, Ottawa's not been very good so far this season, but it's going to be a very emotional game for that club with Jeremiah Masoli returning to injury. He got hurt in week four last year, and that next game, right, he got injured against Saskatchewan, that next game was going to be his return to the Hamilton Tiger Cats, where he played for, for close to a decade before departing via free agency in February of 2022. Now he is getting that exact opportunity one year later in week five to go to Sealtown and, and not only play his first game in a year, but but play in front of those fans who, who cheered him on, of course, for, for so, so long with the Ticats. Now, getting back to the Edmonton Elks, I mean, this team, 0-4, they, they've gotten – and the other issue, they, they darn near beat the Riders in week one. That was a 17-13 game. The Riders needed a sensational late-game goal line stand to get that win. Since then – the Elks have gotten pounded, like three games in a row. They have been sorely beaten, including a 19-point loss to the Red Black this past week in a game in which Ottawa's starting quarterback was making his first pro start. So this is a club that, that has no margin for error. If they're going to catch somebody in the West Division, I don't think there's any chance it's going to be Winnipeg or BC at this point. It's going to have to be Saskatchewan or Calgary. They've already lost once to the Riders. They're going to need to win the season series which means they absolutely have to win at Mosaic Stadium in order to do that. So the Ticats desperate for a win, but I think I think the Elks need one even more right now. Is that seat getting hotter for Chris Jones? What what do you kind of feel around that spot, John? Is is that a position that we need to watch over the next couple of weeks if this thing continues to spiral down, or is he pretty solid in, in rebuilding things there in Edmonton right now? Well, Chris Jones, this is a very unique situation. So Chris Jones got hired in Edmonton by the board when Ian Murray was the chairman there in Edmonton. And he was hired before the team's current president, Victor Kui, was hired. Since that has happened, Ian Murray has left the board. And, of course, Victor Kui has been installed as the president. And so there is nobody over top of Chris Jones currently with the organization who can really hang their hat on that hiring. The other thing, and this has gone underreported, my colleague Justin Dunk was the one who broke this story last year, and a lot of people still don't seem to be aware of this. But Chris Jones, yes, he has a four-year contract with the Elks, but in reality, it is a series of one-year contracts. In other words, the Elks can get out of that deal at the end of any particular season. And so, yes, while the Elks are paying or have had to pay their former president and former GM and former head coach, that whole group that they canned after a miserable 2021 season, they can move on from Chris Jones after 2023 without owing him a dime for the remaining two years of his contract. That, I think, is a great out for the club if they want to make a change after this year. 
The challenge is in season, we're talking about a guy who is the GM, who is the head coach, and who is the defensive coordinator, and has gone out and hired a coaching staff that is all very loyal to him, right? Stephen McAdoo, the offensive coordinator, receivers coach, uh, Marcus Howell, uh, the, the whole crew, everybody involved there, uh, Stephen Sorrells, the offensive coordinator, are all guys who go way back with Jones. In some cases, they've, they've coached alongside him for 10 years. I mean, I, I believe Chris Jones has literally said that Stephen McAdoo, his OC, is the closest thing he has to a brother. Like, that is, <laughs> that is how close these people are. And so if you are the Edmonton Elks, first of all, I don't know how you fire someone who's wearing three hats like that midseason. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, how do you fire him and then ask his – surrogate brother or, or his best friend off the field to say, Hey, now we want you to replace your buddy that we just got rid of. So they, I think are in a situation where, you know, again, anything can happen after the season. It'd be very easy for that team to just wipe the slate clean. But in season, I have no idea how you make a change for the Edmonton Elks. And therefore I think Chris Jones, as much as the team has been poor this year, um, I, I think he's got some job security in season, unless something drastic changes. Uh, last one for you, John, before we let you go, and I don't know, I might be asking something you're not familiar with on this or not, but has there been any indication from anybody around the league about this stats issue that they're having and the partnership with FanDuel not being able to, to work in tandem until the stats uh, issue gets figured out, or are they two separate things? I'm not familiar with, I, I'm aware that they have a deal with FanDuel. Okay. I'm not aware of that situation um, uh, being connected to the stats issue. I can't speak to that. Okay. Just curious because I know with Ontario getting their opportunity in you know, the sports gambling world, and hey, I'm happy to see the CFL branch into something that's becoming a big part of sports. I was just curious if the two, because I don't know how the two would work necessarily if you're talking about a league that's, not exactly on top of things, you know, live stats wise right now. And you're trying to encourage people to bet on games and, and take in live bets like that. It just seems like something that that might be an issue. I was curious if you had anything on that or not, but that's that's no no worries about that at all. The FanDuel thing, obviously good for the league, though. Yeah, and I mean, this is a meaningful revenue stream, right, for, for professional sports leagues and teams. There are teams that have individual deals now. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's a big part of why this legislation was brought into place, was, was the interest of saying, hey, if we can keep the revenue of Canadians who are already betting on offshore, you know, services, wh- why can't we tax that revenue and, and, and have it become a meaningful part of what these clubs are able to do? And, you know, I know, I know gambling and betting has its detractors, but at the end of the day, I mean, it, we've also, as a society, we've also legalized cannabis for largely the same reason. Is mm-hmm. well, pe- people people will smoke cannabis, and why not tax it and and legalize it if that's something that we can then use to to help the public coffers and and use that money to fund you know potentially so, some some great social programs. So, I mean, betting revenue is is a big part of it. But but you also make an excellent point. How do you how do you place a bet? on, you know, hypothetically, like Jake Mayer over under 245 passing yards, if the number of passing yards is is just going to exist in the void somewhere and you're never going to actually know or reliably know, because this is another issue that that as a member of the media we've run into, is a game will end and and CFL Connect, which is kind of an internal stat system the media have been granted access to, 
will say one number. You refresh the page and the number changes. You refresh the page again two minutes later, it changes again. And obviously, that is extremely <laughs> frustrating for members of the media who do not want inaccurate numbers or information in their copy for, for very obvious reasons, right? Being accurate yeah. is of utmost importance. So anyways, yes, the stats issue I'm hopeful will get fixed because as you've pointed out, it makes it very challenging for a league to be taken seriously by veteran betters and veteran gamblers who, who don't actually have access to the information yeah. about what these players do on a week-to-week basis and how we can anticipate what they will do on a week-to-week basis. Uh, I guess we'll hold out hope on that uh, that July timeline from the commission. Uh, John, appreciate the time as always, pal. Thank you for hopping on. We'll do it again soon, hey? Thanks for having me. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. John Hodge from Three Down Nation joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We got to get out of here, but before we do, the Jays are back in action. They are in Chicago getting set to take on the White Sox. Taylor Dingman is off today, so intern Callum's got your Jays report. What is going on, Calgary? It's intern Callum here, and I got today's special edition of your Jays report. Toronto's coming off a tough sweep against the Boston Red Sox last series as they now fall to 0-7 against the AL East rival. Despite losing all three to the Red Sox, George Springer hit a new milestone with this bomb right here. Springer's seen it pretty well. It is gone. George Springer here on Canada Day. That was Springer's 56th leadoff home run, which puts him second in MLB history, only behind Ricky Henderson. The Jays have a chance to get back in the win column tonight as they kick off their first game of a three-game series against the Chicago White Sox on the road as Chris Bassett will take the mound for Toronto. First pitch tonight at 6.10 p.m. on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Boom, intern Callum, well done on the Jays report. That'll do it for us here on a Tuesday edition of the program. Appreciate uh, you listening, whether live or on the podcast. Thank you to all of our guests today. Chance Vegan joined us for the WPCA report. Brent Gunning checking in on all things Maple Leafs. And we just finished up our chat with John Hodge from 3 Down Nation to go over the latest storylines in the CFL. Hour 2 podcast will be up momentarily wherever you get your podcast. We will be back tomorrow, same time, same place, here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.